Don't settle in and get too comfortable yet. We're going to, in a minute, stand for the reading of Acts chapter 4, but not quite yet. It's going to take me a few minutes to set the stage to get there to hear these particular words from Acts 4. Um, there's a great story told in Acts from the days of the beginning of the church. And I think it's important to frame the emotional content of these, partic- of these particular verses. Perhaps the best way to, to do that is to think about the church at Ephesus. You know, the book that we have in the New Testament called Ephesians is the letter to the Ephesians, who were the, po- the people who attended the church in Ephesus. And that particular church was deeply loved by the apostle Paul. These are just a few of the words that Paul writes to the Ephesian church when he's addressing them. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, meaning the people of Ephesians, the Ephesians, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. You can feel the emotional content of those words, can't you? He he writes this to them. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses understanding, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. I mean, you can hear the love that Paul has for these people in those kinds of words, can't you? I mean, this is a deep, a deeply committed love for people who are obviously passionate about the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're in They're invested. Uh, Paul is recognizing the fact that they are actively carrying out the mission in the world. This is a model church, this church at Ephesus. These people are giving their lives to the service of the king, and, and Paul feels a deep camaraderie with them, a deep partnership with them. So if we say that the letter to the Ephesians is written about 62, 63 AD, okay? This is a math lesson. And we say the revelation of Jesus Christ by the Apostle John is written mid-90s. We'll just pick 93 as a number, okay? So Ephesus, letter to them, Ephesians 62, 63. John, 93, 30 years difference, right? Is my math right on that? 30 years between Paul's letter and what John says. And this is what John writes to the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. 
that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. 30 years. Yes, they're commended for doing some great things, and yet they've lost their passion for Christ. And you can almost hear in John's words that the most important thing is their passion for Christ. I'm wondering as you, as you think back to the days soon after the resurrection. I mean, we're just a few weeks past Easter. It's during those 40 days that Jesus appeared to his disciples and then finally ascends to heaven and then there's 10 days leading to Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is given to the people and Peter stands up in the middle of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and speaks profoundly about the love of Christ for everyone and people respond and, and can you imagine the emotional energy of those days? The, the mission is being carried out. These disciples have gone from a period of time of amazing miracles and triumph to days of agonizing loss and crucifixion and death to days of trying to figure out who is this standing right in front of their eyes, someone they thought was dead, who obviously is not dead, and then realizing the fact if this is Jesus, then the one we're serving really is the one who has power over life and death. All is not lost. In fact, his life validates everything he said, and we are in a new place, and then the Holy Spirit, wham, comes down on top of all of that, and I am internally enabled to be a dynamic witness for Jesus Christ. What an emotional roller coaster, and it looks like, they're not coming down from it. It looks like the Holy Spirit in them has, has created something new, something with great vitality, something really significant, and, and it's expressed again and again. I mean, have you, have you ever seen something, something you could hardly believe you were witnessing, and after it happened, you just couldn't wait to tell someone what you had just seen. I was walking down the street and there was Dudley Moore standing right in front of me or some other hero. We were out there at the, at the minor league game and Tim Tebow came up to bat. We saw him there ourselves. You know, I don't know who would excite you to see, but you know what that feels like, don't you? you you, you never expected to have the encounter. And once you see this, well, you just have to tell someone. 
That's the setting of the reading from Acts 4. That's what the feeling was. That's the setting for this. So now I invite you to stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Acts 4, from the top. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law, met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. It is the love that these apostles have for Christ that motivates them to stand up to the Jewish authorities and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Granted, they're in a very interesting period of history to have walked with Jesus, to have seen him die, to be a witness to the resurrection, to know the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They've seen and experienced many things. but it is the love of the Spirit in them and the power of the Spirit working through them 
that enables them to step into risky territory and speak boldly. But I'm confident that this boldness of theirs is linked to a couple of things. You can't have this boldness unless these things are part of your experience. The first is, it's rooted in the amazing victory of Jesus Christ over the grave. Unless you know that Jesus has ultimate authority, that he has triumphed over every foe, that he actually is Lord of the universe, you're not quite so bold. I mean, it's like making a promise when you're sure it will be delivered upon versus whether you just, eh, maybe, it, maybe it will work out. That certainty means something. There's a second thing that their boldness is linked to. It is linked to the power given to them by the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. We don't believe for a second that all of this activity of the apostles is their initiative to do something for God. We believe it's directed by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit enables us to do things we can't do on our own, right? And so unless the power of the Spirit is resident in us, we won't have this kind of boldness. And there, there is an excitement generated when the certainty and conviction of your heart matches the truth that you proclaim. I, I don't know how to describe this exactly to you. I wish I had this experience every Sunday when I preached. But there are some Sundays when the witness of the Spirit to me is so overpowering that there is this deep satisfaction that by his grace I managed to get it exactly right. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever been in a situation where you, you stepped out because you felt the Holy Spirit was asking you to do something and you weren't quite sure about it, but when it was done, you look back and you say, that's what the Holy Spirit was leading me to do. And you have this conviction that what you did, not, not that it was your cleverness or your, your thought process that made it right, but it, it is a confirmation of the Holy Spirit that you really did, in fact, act on his leading. At, at any time we really act on his leading, there's... There's a certainty, a, a, a feeling of rightness that comes on us that enables us to listen even more closely for the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I think, I think you know what I'm talking about, this, this confirming witness of the Spirit that we're moving in ways that are consistent with his will. So when you put together the amazing victory of Christ and his promises with the present power of the Holy Spirit given to us and the experience of the confirming witness of the Spirit that you're moving in the right direction, all those things anchor boldness. These disciples love Jesus. They are devoted to him. They are empowered by him. 
And consequently, when they get in these situations where someone's testing their faith, like these Jewish leaders are, they just simply can't help themselves. The presence and joy of the Holy Spirit is so overwhelming to them. They are so in love with Jesus. They are so filled with the Spirit. They are, their actions for Christ under the leadership of the Spirit have bred a certainty in them that is so strong that when pressed, they, they can't help themselves. It doesn't matter how great the risk to them individually is. It doesn't matter what the external threat is. You know, it's sort of like if you take a bottle that's full of something and you start shaking it, whatever's in there is gonna come out, right? And, and you press these guys and what's in there is gonna come out and, and well, these guys are filled with the love of God. It's in there and when pressed, it is gonna come out because these guys simply just can't contain themselves. And I'm wondering, have you ever had that kind of excitement about the transforming grace at work in your heart? What were the days like when you first came to Christ? Were the days immediately after your conversion perhaps more emotionally charged than most? Or do you remember an increased joy, a, a deep level of devotion to God, a, a willingness to tell others about what happened to you? You know, that new relationship we had in Christ had the power to put us to work. I mean, we felt the need to respond in terms of activity in some way to what has happened to us, to respond to the love and mercy that God in Christ showed to us when he forgave us of our sins and accepted us into his kingdom. But think, think about how easy it is to lose sight of the impact of that spiritual transformation. Or or maybe to lose sight of how significant a change it was. I mean, how long did it take the Ephesian church to forget its first love? 30 years. How many of us have been saved longer than 30 years? Yeah, one or 40 of us. There's, there's a lot of us who are in the Ephesians boat, and I think it's, I think it's fair if we ask the Ephesians what happened there that we should ask ourselves the same kinds of questions. I mean, do a little inventory search right now. Who knows in your circle of friends, who knows that you've been transformed by the grace of God? Do your closest friends know? Do your coworkers know? Do casual acquaintances know? Does your encounter with Jesus qualify as one of those stories that is so exciting to you that you just can't help to tell it? I mean, like meeting a celebrity on the street? Would, are you so enamored 
of Jesus, of his work in your life, that, that your encounter with him propels you, compels you to tell this story? Let me just ask this simple question. When was the last time you told anyone you were Christian? Now I get it. I get it that with political realities being what they are today and the way the media defines what it means to be Christian and the very ridiculous things that some prominent Christians are saying in the media, there are lots of times I want to run and hide from the label of Christian because I'm afraid people will confuse me with what some clueless Christians are saying on TV, right? I don't want to be Christian that way. I want to be a very different kind of Christian than much of what I hear about in the media. But there's a difference between self-identifying as Christian and being a follower of Jesus, right? Because following Jesus is about having this this deep love relationship with the master of the universe who has given everything for us and who we respond to with passion and obedience. So who knows you're a follower of Jesus? Does the love you have for Jesus always just stay in your heart or does it ever leak out? Does that love issue itself in any kind of activity? Is the Holy Spirit able to pry your heart open enough to move you into action in terms of the transforming grace of God? Identifying with Christ is one of our primary functions as Christians. Displaying our love for Christ is perhaps our primary witness. So, do you wear your faith on your sleeve or are you an incognito Christian? These guys, Peter and John, there's no incognito about it. They can't help themselves. When pressed, when threatened, you guys better stop preaching in that name, the leaders who had power over them said to them, and they respond, well, we gotta decide whether we're gonna listen to you or to Jesus. And friends, there's no contest here. We're listening to Jesus. We're, you can threaten us, you can beat us, but there is nothing you can do to stop us from telling this incredible story that Jesus has risen from the dead to proclaim his victory over sin and death and hell and we have the opportunity to live together forever with God and that the love of Christ changes everything in our lives, not just for us, but for every single human on the planet. We can't stop telling that story. So I don't know if 
as you're hearing this passage today, you're saying, I'm not quite there. I would recommend to you what Peter and John do as soon as they get out of jail, away from those nasty leaders, and back with their own people. This is what it says in verse 29 they did. They said, Sovereign Lord, and they pray with the believers. This is the part I'm interested in. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And what was the result of the prayer? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, boldly. I would like you to notice something. This is Acts 4. The Holy Spirit is given in Acts 2. So at the result of their praying was that they were filled with the Spirit. It's telling us they were filled with the Spirit, these people who had been previously filled with the Spirit. Do you catch that? They were already filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost a few weeks earlier but they've come under threatening situations. Their lives have been threatened. They've been hauled before the magistrates. They've been persecuted. They've had hard days. And so even though they have been bold, even though they have been witnesses for Christ, they pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to fill them so they could maintain the passion they had for Christ by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So unless we are continually filled by the Holy Spirit, unless we pray for the boldness that comes by the gift of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna end up like the Ephesians 30 years down the road. We'll have forgotten what the love of Christ means for us. And so it is important for us to travel back time and time and time again to remember what Christ did for us. What, what did he do? What does it mean for Jesus to leave heaven's throne and come and live so that we know how to live, to give us life for our sins, to give us promises of eternal life? We have to remind ourselves of that again and again and again because our joy and our boldness is anchored in the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we take communion. Communion reminds us again and again that anything that is accomplished through our lives is his work and not ours. It brings us back to the foot of the cross again. It helps us hear Jesus say, I love you once more. But communion is also a symbol that we are taking Christ into ourselves, that the Holy Spirit is in us to give us the boldness and the enthusiasm and the power to express the love of Jesus to everyone we meet. So this morning, as we prepare to receive communion together, I would ask you to keep these things in your mind, that this communion is Jesus saying, I love you, and that when you receive Jesus into yourself, this is a prayer that the Holy Spirit and his power would be shed abroad in your hearts that you might have the excitement, the boldness, and the joy that you had at first. 
so that we can glorify him in all our actions. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, speak to us by your spirit today and fill us again that we might give evidence of your grace to us and that our love for you might escape our hearts and be put into action in the world. Amen. One way we get the love of Jesus out of our hearts to a place where it will do some good is by the way we tell his story. Another way we get his love out of our hearts and into action in the world where it will do good is through service in the kingdom of God. You'll notice there's a bulletin board in the hallway outside the school offices that outlines opportunities to serve others. I would encourage you in these days to be in prayer and see what kinds of responses to the grace of God he would invite you to make. And to continue to pray and ask him to pour his spirit into our hearts that we might have boldness to proclaim his love through all of the actions of our lives. And now by his spirit, may you continually remember your first love and be so captivated by his Holy Spirit that you just can't help but tell the story of Christ. To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.